Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end of things. Um, look, there have been cracks in the foundation of the Ohio State football program all year long. Really in July, I think it started with it started then with the off-field stuff with Zach, and I think it continued through August and then early September. It was always a distraction, one we maybe didn't give enough credit to. And then it continued on the field with the defense's just inability to get off the field and prevent big plays of any sort and were gashed by teams who, frankly, shouldn't be on the same field as them. And then more recently, in the last couple of, of, of weeks, we had the offensive struggles in the red zone and in short yardage. And then Saturday in West Lafayette, the foundation crumbled. Um, and all of your biggest fears as a Buckeye fan came home to roost. What's strange to me about this one is that th- this wasn't fluky and this wasn't a trap game and this didn't sneak up on you. This was 7.30. This was national television. This was at night against a Purdue team that everybody knew was dangerous and you could not stop them and you could not score on them in the red zone when it mattered. And that to me, my good friend, is a pretty startling thing for me to try to wrap my head around. You can go on social media and say, oh, I knew Purdue was going to be tricky. Okay, yeah, so we all did. We all knew tr- <laughs> Purdue would be tricky. We, Of course, they've got a great head coach. They've got a pretty good quarterback. They've got a superb wide receiver. It was always going to be tricky. But to think that you would get housed at Purdue, no one was predicting that. And I won't stand for people saying that they were because they don't exist. (laughs) So this was a tough one to wrap my head around. Not that they lost. I thought it was possible. I actually had it 56-42, so I was pretty close on uh, on Purdue's total point total. Just didn't think ours would be that paltry. Um, But but this 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 one is hard for me to to get some perspective on the the ease with which Purdue whipped us. Yeah. And and this is happening back to back seasons now where you've got a team that is clearly hyped up that everybody should know, I think, would be hyped up to face Ohio State. And in this case, like you said, this is not nobody was really super surprised by, I think, the way, you know, Ohio State fans might have been after uh, the Iowa game. But to me, the biggest surprise, I guess, was. Not necessarily the fact that the defense got gashed, because I, I think that was just, you know, the blueprints there. Like, there's no secret in what you have to do to play against Ohio State offensively. I just, the lack of conversions in the red zone, the, you know, the the running game just completely falling apart in every facet. Like, I, it's okay to have a couple down weeks as a running game, but just to be consistently bad like this to me is a little shocking. And I had hoped that in a game like this and, you know, in an atmosphere like that, that they would have been able to come across as maybe a little more engaged, a little more interested, and you just didn't see that. So that that's what surprised me. And again, I think I had like an eight-point win for Ohio State. I'm not shocked by the loss at all, uh, but the way it happened was definitely surprising. And it says, I think in my opinion, it says some really bad things going forward. You, you can get a win against Nebraska, uh, but looking at Michigan State, looking at Michigan, that's going to be some heavy lifting i think for ohio state right now yeah i boy i don't even know where to start with this thing um i guess i'll go back to july because i think some of the problems that are have been festering within the program probably started there and um i I think it probably was a slow bleed 
until we had a hemorrhage on a Saturday night. Because can I um, tell you what, Bill? Can I, I think, ask you this real quick? Do you? Because yeah. a lot of people, I think, are a little bit torn on exactly what to blame it on. Are you the kind of person that looks at the coaching staff and lays most of this at their feet, or is this a personnel issue more than anything else, in your opinion? Oh, it's not personnel. I think it's chicken. I, th- I mean, it's not. It's not mostly personnel. It's some personnel. I mean, it's clear yeah. we don't have linebackers like we used to. I mean, I think right. that's pretty clear. Like, uh, if you're going to play the type of defense that Greg Schiano wants to play, you basically need to have a lot of NFL guys. And we don't have NFL linebackers right now. We don't. Um, there's no Raquan McMillan. There's no no Jerome Baker. There's no Ryan Shazier. There's no Darren Lee. There's no Joshua Perry. I mean, this we, this is not what we have at linebacker. We don't. Um, I don't know why it's happening. Um, you know, Baron Browning was a five-star kid, and he Justin Hilliard was a five-star kid. Like, these are – big highly regarded kids who they get here and they just haven't it hasn't clicked so you know we're not what we normally are at linebacker I think most of the rest of the places were probably close except for offensive line where we're not what we used to be either on the offensive line um we we're really big you know but we're not I don't see a, a like a, a burning desire to go kick your opponent's ass out of our <laughs> offensive line right. and dominate I mean I don't see that so I think the other thing is is when you this is kind of the chickens coming home to roost on the entire program, I think, a little bit. And I'm going to try not to be too alarmist because, you know, we're, you know, in the next group behind Alabama. I mean, we're de- we're not Alabama. They've, you know, five national titles, nine years. Nick Saban has not lost once. The last four losses for Ohio State have been by 14 points or more. Nick Saban has not lost by 14 in 12 years at Alabama. <laughs> so w- just stop it. We're not that. Right. But we, we, we aspire to be that. And we hold ourselves to that standard. And I, I think one it's one thing I'm kind of scatterbrained here because there's a lot I want to get to. But I think, sure. number one, I think you I think that some people are program builders and some people are program maintainers. And I think the great one, like Saban, is a builder and a maintainer. What I mean by that is I think Saban takes as much pleasure in maintaining the greatness as he does in building towards the greatness. Right. Like he 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 revels in the drudgery of it, you know, and he revels it when a coach le- like they run his system. Everybody just runs his system when they. And so he, he recruits to specific things and away you go. And and the, and and that's that's the difference, I think, a little bit is, you know, it's, and it takes he's like the only he's one of one who can do that. Right. Who's who's a builder and a maintainer. It's hard to maintain it. And I think the, the main selling point of Urban Meyer has been to great success. Come to Ohio State, and we will get you ready for the NFL. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, sure. you remember like yeah. the, they had the recruiting pitch of, you know, come play in Ohio because you're going to have to play in the north in the cold, like embrace the cold, all that stuff. Like they've their whole thing has been based on the NFL. But then when the going gets tough, if your eye is just on the NFL, what is your give a damn level to fight through the drudgery? And, yeah. and that's maybe that's kind of what's happened here. And maybe that explains these beatdowns. I mean, I'm grasping at straws. I don't really know. Um, but these are <laughs> things that come in my head on a Saturday night, late at night. No, I mean, that's, you know, that's a fair take. I, it's interesting because I was thinking about the comparison between Meyer and Saban. And to me, Meyer, Urban Meyer, I think, wants to feel, I don't want to use the word comfortable necessarily because, you know, his, his program is kind of the antithesis of comfort. But I think for him personally, he wants to feel comfortable with the coaches that are around him. And he wants to feel, I believe, that you know they'll operate within the system that he's created. I think the difference between him and Nick Saban is that Nick Saban doesn't care because the only thing he really has an allegiance to is, is winning. And 
there is no, you know, well, this guy, I know this guy, and we have a good working relationship. He doesn't give a crap about any of that. Mm -hmm. He he just wants points on the field. And he's the kind of guy who will bench his starter at halftime of a national championship game if he thinks the backup will give him a better chance to win. I don't think Urban Meyer is that dude. And I think Urban Meyer has kind of cultivated an image of being that guy. But to me, I've seen, like, I, I guess what has bothered me this season is that you've got the quarterback who has all these tools but you don't necessarily use all of them. You you allow him to get yards and, and points and stuff, but you don't necessarily make Ohio State a red zone threat. And you've got these this huge road grading offensive line, but for whatever reason, you can't seem to figure out a scheme to run the ball without the quarterback as a running threat. Like lots of other teams figure that out. I don't really understand why Ohio State can't. And so to me, it just feels like this allegiance, this this desire for comfort from Urban Meyer and his staff in terms of like something that they're familiar with versus being able and willing to just dump things that don't work into the trash and starting over from scratch. And that's hard to do. I'm not saying that's something that any coaching staff can do, but to me, that's what separates, you know, this coaching staff versus what you see at Alabama where they just don't care. Like they'll just, they'll pick whatever works and they'll just go with it. I think you bring up a good point on adaptability there. They are not very adaptable. No, uh, you know, we're still running the same offense for JT Barrett. You wonder like if JT Barrett doesn't get hurt in the Michigan game and he ends up playing in that national, cause I'm one of those who doesn't, be- who believes that they can't win it without Cardell. I don't think you can beat Alabama without an ability to throw it down the field. So if JT doesn't get hurt in the Michigan game, you wonder how the narrative on all of this changes. It did. And so it happens, but they adapted with Tom Herman. They adapted offensively. Uh, we saw what happened in 2015 when they just refused to adapt to Cardale Jones and tried making him run read option. Well, Dwayne Haskins ain't going to run read option. He's just <laughs> no. Uh, he's not going to keep it. And because he's no threat, and some of that is on Dwayne. Like, if this is the offense, every once in a while, he's got to stick his nose in there. Like, this yeah. is the offense. He did it in the Michigan game last year. He took off running, and he ran well. But he's shown no interest in it. I don't blame him because he's try- – I'm sure he's got his eye on the NFL because, again, that's what they sell to these kids is, you know, we're going to get ready for the league. I think that's a natural – I think when you think of the word adaptable, the thing that jumped to my mind, honestly, when you said that is look at the lengths. Saban gets beat by John football in, uh, and he gets beat by Ohio State. So um, he gets beat a couple of times there. In, in way, But the John football one was the big one. He, get, he loses to John football, uh, loses to Deshaun Watson. So then what does he do? Like, do you think, do you think that Nick Saban has much in common with Lane Kiffin? <laughs> but Probably but, not hanging out after says, practice, having a beer. No, but he says – this is a necessary evil for me to get the offense to a place where we can beat teams that do this. Yeah. So we can beat teams that score 40. Right. Right. So I'm going to no, hire you. Exactly it. We'll bring you in. I mean, he hired Butch Jones from Tennessee. I mean, right. like he doesn't care about any of that. Like you come to Alabama, I'm going to learn from you. Let's figure out how to do it. And then let's win. And then when you get out of here, if it doesn't work, but like he brought Sarkeesian in, you know, I mean, like these aren't people that were in his coaching tree. Right. They just yeah, were or his friends or yeah, exactly. or his friends like Bill Davis wasn't, you know, like Bill Davis is a friend of Urban's. He's in his wedding, you yeah. know, so like how critical can he be? You know, so that's I think you bring up a very good point there. And I think all of these things kind of add up and they, you know, they kind of become what you have. And what I saw on Saturday from Herbs on the sideline, and I think it's more now because of what happened in July and August. I think they have a camera fixed on him now, mm. but the anguish that he has over every play. Like, I mean, he's a walking gif. Every every time that anything happens, his hands are on his head. There's exasperation, th- dropping headsets and playbook. Like, he just doesn't look healthy to me. Yeah. I think Herbstreet made this point earlier on, on Dan Patrick. Like, it seems like 
and it would be natural for all of this to have taken a very heavy toll on him. But it, it he doesn't seem like the man in complete, you know, control of his program. And I think even Pantone or not Pantone, um, uh, on Urban in his call-in show was talking about the. Um, he was talking about how he doesn't really look at film until Wednesday, which would lead you to believe that at Wednesday, like the game plans have already been put in, and he's just making tweaks. Yeah, I mean, I was shocked by that. And he said that a couple of weeks ago on his coaching show that he doesn't look at game, that he hadn't looked at the tape yet until Wednesday. And I thought, well, geez, I guess he's yeah, not in on the game. Not like the image of Urban that we've built up over the years. No. Right? Like this is the guy that we always say, oh well, you know, he's clearly looking at game tape as soon as the last game ends. Like he's he's going out on the internet and finding whatever clips he can and trying to scheme against his next week opponent. I mean, I I can't say. I mean, for Urban's investment in the program and and how it's being run, I can't really say that. I will say that there have been necessary and i think look i'm not a football genius by any stretch of the imagination but fairly obvious issues schematic wise like scheme wise that they can fix that haven't been addressed over the course of the season and i feel like you know if you've got a coaching staff that is on the same page and where everyone's invested in talking these are problems that can be fixed kirk herbstreit was talking about it during the game you've got linebackers who are playing right at the line of scrimmage and when they get past you know behind with a slant or somebody just dumps it over their head like that feels like it's fairly predictable and there was one specific one i think uh kyle on our site was doing an analysis of it and he pointed out that like you know there was a third and 19 that purdue had that they almost picked up because there was literally 15 yards of just complete open space behind the linebackers and the safeties and so i don't like these are things that you should be able to notice, I believe, as a coaching staff. It, it shouldn't take an after-the-fact, you know, internet website to kind of point this stuff out. I feel like during the course of the game, you should be able to see this. So to me, that's what's really worrisome, that I feel like I've got, you know, you're, you're watching a coaching staff that just is not on the same page and a head coach that maybe doesn't feel like he wants to take the steps to ameliorate some of those issues. And that's... It's, that's um, when you get beat. That's when you get beat by a yeah. hot coaching staff, and that's when guys like Lincoln Riley and you know Brom and all these other dudes come in with a plan, and then they beat you. They were there were twenty plays, pass plays in the game on Saturday. Twenty plays where guys were completely open. Yeah, <laughs> like upwards of. I mean, completely. Like I'm not making same. that up. There were actually twenty one plays where guys were completely uncovered. There was a play when. Uh, Rondale Moore is in the slot, and we have Harrison lined up on him in man. Like, <laughs> like how, how, how's that possible? The, the most, the most disheartening though is on fourth down or in the fourth quarter, where Purdue's trying to run out the clock, and they just kept running for touchdowns. Like Purdue's yeah. just trying to bleed clock with four and a half minutes left, and then they ran in two more touchdowns. Yeah, because we couldn't tackle. Like yeah. it, that's nuts. That's nuts. We've never seen defense like this. So, look, this is where you are. How do you fix it? I don't know. I, I, I don't know without a schematic change, I mean, a schematic change defensively has to happen. And if you're going to continue to run this offense, then Dwayne Hassan's going to have to run the ball. And if he doesn't want to run the ball, then in the red zone, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go to Martell because some right. you have to bend on something. You can't just keep yeah. doing the same thing over and over again. It just doesn't add up, you know? Yeah, so they've got to get well, it fix. just frustrates me because other – look – you can run the ball without a running quarterback. That is possible. That is that is a, a thing that other teams do. And I don't you would think that they would know what you know Haskins is capable of and isn't capable of. And you've got two, I believe, still pretty capable running backs. You can 
I, I just don't believe that, you know, this far into the season that you can't come up with, you know, three or four running plays that will work, that that will get you three or four yards on a consistent basis at Ohio State. That's what just is unbelievable to me. And I just, that's what I think is most frustrating. And the red zone stuff, I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because that's what really killed them. I mean, you, you get that far down the field after some of these yeah. drives that went, you know, 70, 80 yards, or whatever, and then get nothing out of it, get a field goal. It's, it's just baffling. I, I don't understand how an Ohio State football team under Urban Meyer cannot come up with a couple good plays to get you three or four yards on the ground. Nope. No. I mean, look, these are the problems that we've all seen. We all know what they are now. They've got a bye week to try to get them fixed. Um, and and that's that's kind of where you are. As predicted, the Schleister record fell. Yay. <laughs> so at least you have and to a deal loss, with that. Just like it was set. Right. That's right. At least I don't have to see his name in the record book anymore. Right. I figured Dwayne would throw it 60 times. I didn't think 73, but 60. Yeah. So that, that record's out. So we got that going for us, which is nice. Um, coming up later, we will talk about what's ahead for this Buckeye program. And frankly, there's still a lot because the answer to what next, they can still write their own ticket a little bit here. But first, we are joined by Lita Ramirez to talk a little bit about Dubgate. Before we do that, though, I want to remind you to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more drygoods.11warriors.com. And with that, we bring on our good buddy, Lito Ramirez. He is part of Down Syndrome Achieves and an integral part of Dubgate as uh, one, one of our great fundraisers every year. Uh, Lito, thanks for taking the time. And um, it is it is getting to be that time of year where this this we're going to ramp this up pretty quickly. And uh, what do you have in store? And, and what are the things you're most excited about about this year's Dubgate? Well, I tell you, uh, this has been in a, a labor of love with uh, – our organization, Downson Achieves, and everyone at uh, 11 Warriors has been going on for about, uh, I think this is uh, the fourth or fifth year. And, um, you know, it, it's such it's such a gift to have such uh, generosity and partnership and uh, a, a real sense of charity, uh, you know, towards uh, the work that we do. So we're forever grateful for uh, the work that uh, everyone at 11 Warriors uh, helps us out with. Um, Down Syndrome Achieves is a, a, a research advocacy group, and, and we're rather unique uh, in our space in that we're not a traditional advocacy group. We don't do programs of, you know, uh, uh, teaching kids how to ride a bike or, or whatnot. And these are all great programs, and there are plenty of groups doing that. We're not a grant organization either. You know, we don't hand out research dollars. Or what we, but what we do do is that we support research by building the types of uh, research capabilities that researchers don't currently have. Um, and uh, one of our biggest initiatives right now is to develop uh, the first uh, Down syndrome biobank, um, a national uh, Down syndrome biobank in the country. And uh, what that is, is when we talk about biobanks, what we're really talking about is uh, a refrigeration unit that will hold tens of thousands biospecimens of uh, people with Down syndrome and their families. And these samples are then shared with researchers. Um, it's an important, critical missing link because right now there is no uh, centralized or national biobank for Down syndrome. And uh, these things uh, have been around since the 90s. Most every research category has one except for Down syndrome. So um, every year when when we do delegate with uh, 11 Warriors, I mean, it, it's such a gift to us because it helps sustain what we're trying to do and help support our partnership with Nationwide Children's in in uh, building uh, building this uh, biobank. One of the things, so, you know, I was talking with Ramsey about this, and, and one of the things that I just found fascinating is the the lack of research that is often done with Down syndrome. And and. Mm -hmm. It's it's one of those things where I, I think that 
people tend to overlook, uh, you know, the genetic component of a lot of these types of diseases and whatnot. And I, I just think it's mm-hmm. it's really cool that, um, at first of all, I think it's really cool that a football website, you know, or Ohio State sports sure. website is, you know, partnering with you guys to try to help this really right. scientifically important uh, task get done. Right. I think that's really awesome. And actually, what I wanted to ask you about here is what was that connection? Cause we know Ramsey, obviously, you know, he has some connections obviously in the medical field with what he does for his mm-hmm. job, but how did mm-hmm. that kind of come about? How did that cultivate? Well, um, Steve Shoemaker, um, who uh, has, has worked with uh, Ramsey and the other folks at the uh, Living Warriors. Steve is, uh, uh, is, is, is also a uh, DS dad. He has a young son with Down syndrome. And um, as uh, a lot of parents do, we look for ways that, uh, we can contribute and help really forward, uh, forward the cause. Um, you know, uh, he had the ability uh, with uh, his work in uh, uh, the restaurant space and, and, and whatnot, and he was able to, to really uh, utilize uh, his network of friends and, and colleagues to, to really, um, you know, help uh, support uh, the Dovegate and support us at the same time. I mean, doing uh, this work that I'm doing today as the CEO of Down Center Machines was certainly not part of my own career arc. I started out in government. I, I was in the governor's office for a number of years, and I went to do uh, lobbying for uh, one of the state's uh, largest uh, groups, uh, lobbying groups for uh, representing the state's positions. And then I went on to do strategic um, branding for large hospital medical systems. OSU Medical Center was one of my clients at one point. Um, so, you know, we, we all look for ways that, uh, that we can contribute. And my son, uh, just as an example, is 11 years old, and he has been under the knife uh, nine times. Wow. Um, he, when he was four months old, he had um, open heart lung bypass. He went into heart failure. He's had spinal cord surgery twice. He's had gastrointestinal surgery twice, and the list goes on and on and on. And it's because we don't understand um, the, the, the impact of having an extra chromosome has on your, on, on your health. And, uh, when you can't manage health, you have a diminished quality of life. Right. So at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is to work with researchers, uh, and, and hopefully support their work in, in creating new therapeutics, uh, so people with Down syndrome can have a, a higher quality of life, uh, you know, for those who are impacted by, by health conditions. So, let me ask you this. So besides obviously, you know, donating at the, the uh, 11 W gate and, you know, making sure that they're informed and, and aware of, of the situations that, you know, people struggle with and they have to deal with. What's another way that maybe people can uh, help this cause and, and help people with Down syndrome, you know, just kind of, you know, advance their lives and so on. Well, you mentioned uh, two really big, uh, big components that uh, we always work with. Number one is understanding uh, the issue and, and having more awareness and uh, supporting where you can, uh, either financially or, or by volunteering, um, you know, for uh, organizations. You know, as a research group, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot that's little known in the public that is that if you take 10 children with Down syndrome, all 10 of those children will develop the brain tangles and the brain plaque of Alzheimer's disease by the time they reach 40 years old. Wow. That's a, that's a hundred percent incidence rate. Um, 80% of those children or eight of those children will eventually go on to develop, uh, dementia and then, um, and then full Alzheimer's disease. And, uh, as a father, 
um, that's that's a dark picture that I see because my son struggles every day to uh, you know learn how to uh, speak and and other life skills and and to know that um, that Alzheimer's has the potential to steal that away from him from him um, by the time he's 40 years old is is what really pressed me to you know talk to the researchers and ask them what do you need to do your job you know and um you know uh, one of the first things that came up was uh this national biobank you know we need access to uh blood samples hair tissue all the foundational things that researchers need in order to conduct work so whenever i'm out there talking to folks um you know uh they always ask the, the same question and i'm grateful for it and um you know what we'd like them to do is really understand uh, uh and be aware of you know uh, the quality of life of people with Alzheimer's and how we can make that better research today well i i'm really proud that we're able to to partner with you guys and to, and to hopefully advance that cause and are you are you going to be able to get to the the dubgate on the third oh yeah oh yeah we're we're, we're there every year and uh, it, it it's always a lot of fun I mean, uh, we're, we're there to, uh, you know, celebrate Buckeye football and we're, uh, first and foremost. And, uh, you know, but uh, at the same time, we're, we're, we're really grateful for this, uh, long-term partnership and, and really the genuine care and, and, um, any concern on wanting to, to help a, a cause uh, such as ours. So well, we're, we... we're, we're truly grateful. Yeah, we really look forward to seeing you. And, you know, and hopefully for those of you guys who are listening and Lito yourself, if you want to get on the website, participate in the Dirty Frank uh, tournament bracket that we have going for yep. <laughs> you can choose those. We've got tons <laughs> of sponsors. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, thanks for coming on and talking about it. And I'm, you know, we've, we've been kind of doom and gloom in this podcast. So I'm really glad <laughs> we can talk about something positive and right, kind of get into right. it. So, yeah. So thanks again, I man. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks very much. All right, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Before you have to ask us anything, a couple of things. This is, I will not, in this time anyway, I will not advocate for Ohio State for anything uh, where the playoff is concerned. You can't. You can't give up 49 and get drilled like that and then come here and say, well, you deserve to be in a playoff. Because you don't. You don't deserve anything. I had I had somebody today on the radio show say, I've never seen anybody fall as far as us. It's an SEC conspiracy. I mean, we lost to Purdue. They're, they're good. You know, they're not Rutgers. They're not Maryland. And I said, I said, you know what? If you want to play that game of Purdue isn't Rutgers in Maryland, then guess what? TCU is not a quality win. Not anymore. Right. Right. Not anymore. If you want to play that game, did you watch Penn State last week against Indiana? Are you sure that's a quality win? Who exactly <laughs> have we beat? So if you want to play that game, then that's a game you can you can play in, but understand it goes both ways. So the fact that Ohio State dropped to 11 or 9 or wherever they dropped, honestly, it's irrelevant. It, it doesn't mean a damn thing because everything is in front of them. Now, I won't advocate for them to make the playoff, but I still think they can. I think a couple of things need to happen. Number one, win out, okay, which is going to be enough of a challenge based on what we've seen from this team. But number one is win out. If you win out and you win the Big Ten, there's a pretty good chance that you will get in the playoff despite getting beaten down like this at Purdue. But the other part of that that's really critical, and this is the thing for people to that's going to be really hard for some people to wrap their heads around, you had better root for Michigan because yeah. you need Michigan to be ranked third or fourth in the country by the time you play them in the shoe in the game because yep. that's another critical part of this. Because if Michigan is to lose to Penn State or – Whoever, I mean, they got a bye week this week, then Penn State. Then it's probably basically they just got to get through Penn State. 
if Michigan can get through Penn State, because then I think it's like, I think they play like Illinois and maybe like Rutgers. So it's pretty easy for them after that. If Michigan can get through Penn State, then they, they'll go to that game third or fourth in the country. If they don't, and Michigan falls to 10 or 12, then what what's your quality win? Yeah. What you don't have one. On? You don't right. have one. So yeah, those are the so things yeah. that have. Well, and I got to say something. There's a very good chance Michigan does do that. And they they have looked better and better each successive week. And if people are you know, like hanging, you know, maybe the season hat on a win against Michigan, I want to tell you right now, that's not going to be easy to come by. They are brutal on defense. And like they will just, just like they, they make teams one dimensional just to begin with. But if a team comes in one dimensional, I don't know what you do uh, with what they have on the defensive line and some of the other things that they can bring to bear. Uh, you better hope that you can score some points because I mean that's really their one weakness is a mediocre offense. But like, yeah, they're they're a tough team to play, and they are going to be they're a real really hard ask I think at the end of the season. So I one hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, um, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna we're gonna have a handful with them. Yeah, I would agree with that. So yeah, we got. Do you do you want to roll in to ask us anything? You want to do a few of those there to brighten our spirits? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do the ask us anything. That's fine. We can we can do that. I think it's pretty simple. I think most people know what needs to happen. You got to win out, and then you need Michigan to be a quality opponent when you play them. I mean, that's that's where we're at. Yeah, I you know, and I think a lot of people don't want to really wrap their heads around that, but. Uh, I agree with you. It's It's got to happen. Uh, ask us anything, guys. You can ask us anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast. Let's hit a couple here. This is from our good friend uh, Alvin. He just wants to know simply, have you ever been on a cruise before? And what are your thoughts on them? I have not. I, and I haven't the reason I have, Yeah, and the reason I haven't is because I, I've been to the Caribbean a lot and Mexico and the places you would go take a cruise to. And right. I always just feel like I'd rather just go to the place and then explore the place rather than like, cause I, I guess what probably set it off is like, I remember going to the Caymans a long time ago and I saw like the cruise ship come in and they were just like, went to like the main Harbor for like a couple hours and then got back on the boat. And I thought, well, boy, you're missing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's why I haven't like, done it. Right. I, I, my parents, I've never been on a cruise. My parents took a cruise to Alaska. Um, a few years ago and they really liked it. But I would say that if you're going to go on a cruise, at least as far as I've seen, if you're going to go on a cruise uh, for the experience of being on a big boat, I don't know that's necessarily worth it. Unless it's some kind of Disney cruise and you're with your kids or something. But uh, to me, it should be like a, a, like a big destination kind of thing where you're going to get on a cruise, go to a place, spend a decent amount of time there and then maybe come back because the, the, the boat itself at least as far as I have been told, is maybe not necessarily the attraction that you want to, you know, really base your entire yeah. experience on. Maybe like if you're like Greek Isles or like the Scandinavia. Yeah, could like I think that would be sweet. Countries be or something, and maybe be or like Alaska. I hear people do that with like maybe there. I don't know, but I right. yeah, maybe I'm one of those Viking thought, River cruises. That'd be kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those Viking. Those things look kind of like that. Might be kind of cool. I don't, you know, but maybe I would just rather just go to Norway or Sweden. Yeah, <laughs> right. And they don't have to be, you know, stuck on a boat. On a boat. Every single day. Yeah, well, that's, that's the problem. If you want to get off the boat, well, you can't get off the boat. You're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So, sorry. That's yeah, where are you going? Um, <laughs> this is, we got a couple of questions here on uh, on Twitter. Um, so, this is from Peter. He seems, he seems very concerned. I'm going to kind of, I think, focus his two questions into one. But he okay. basically asks, is it okay to ask maybe after this, you know, game, and then maybe um, what we've seen during the season. Is this the end of an era? And, and is this what it looks like when you start to have to move towards a different, you know, 
different epoch or, or whatever you want to call it for your uh, your college football team? Um, I, I'm not ready to say it's the end of an era because uh, the recruiting is what the recruiting is, and um, but it is. I never thought I always I put the when Urban got hired I put the over under on it seven years like right. I didn't think it would that's it I mean that was an, and that's where we're at so um, I wouldn't be surprised if if the end is near I wouldn't be surprised um, he seems like he's going through a lot and I think that I think yeah. that maybe we all underestimated uh, what July and August took out of him and he looks like a man who's pretty fried to me. That doesn't yeah. mean that, you know, he can't get through this year and have a nice recruiting class and a nice offseason and re-energize and charge the batteries and come back. But at this point in his career, I just don't know, you know, does he have that fight? That's the thing that's amazing about Saban. Like Saban, with all of his success, still craves the process. Right. Like it's, it's an exhaustive process. I mean, he's like Belichick in that. Just takes no joy in winning. Just no. on to the next. I mean, that's an incredible thing to be. To be he's, he's getting up focused. there in age too, and he doesn't seem like he's slowing down at all. Yeah. yeah, and he doesn't. Right. He really doesn't. He stays right where he's at, and he's maybe got his best team ever. So um, he's Belichickian in that way. And yeah. um, and I don't know like, like if Urban has that, but frankly, no, not many do. I mean, the ones that have lasted a really long time, the Paternos and the Bowdens, who lasted forever, I mean, those guys were guys who delegated a great deal of the responsibilities, and they were recruiters and – uh, ran the program, but didn't do much of the day-to-day, you know, coaching. They were more right. for inspirational and that type of thing. And they were probably last 10, 15, 20 years. So um, Urban is still, I think he's trying to figure that part out. And so I wouldn't be surprised if the end was quickly. What's interesting to me. So I, I'm glad that this question was asked because I, I keep going back to things that you were actually saying, uh, a few, you know, I think before the season started where you were kind of tracing Urban's um, tenure at Florida and kind of comparing it to his tenure at Ohio State. And, you know, I think we both kind of came to the conclusion before, you know, all the stuff during the summer hit that, well, he looks like he's going to keep going. Things are going great. But, you know, maybe it's just one of those things where there's only so long where you can go this hard at a job and something happens like, you know, with Zach Smith and all that other stuff this summer. Yeah. And it, it burns you out and you, you realize how difficult and how tired you were um, doing that job. So, I, I you know, I just – I don't know. It necessarily looks like the end of an era or something like that, but I, I do think that you start to notice the seams uh, coming apart a little bit when a team starts to struggle and, and somebody who has a lot of investment and is still emotionally in it, into it and uh, you know, physically able to do that kind of stuff. will be able to regroup and get things together and, and work it out. But somebody who's kind of like, well, you know, I don't know that I'm, I'm all about this life anymore that's when things start to fall apart a little bit. So this tests that, but I don't think this is necessarily an indicator of it. It's just going to be, and maybe in retrospect, the beginning of, you know, either Ohio State's resurgence or Urban Meyer kind of, you know, winding it down. So well, he's we'll like a comet. Happens. He's a comet, you know, like, yeah. How long can he burn? You right. know, the way that he goes about it, how long can he burn? Like for whatever reason, Saban loves the process of the burn and, yeah. and it maybe it wears Urban out. I mean, it happened in Florida. I mean, that's what this reminds me of. Well, I think you a know? lot of it's emotional investment, too. I mean, you it's know, very different circumstances, of, but yeah. Florida was around this time, too. I think he was at Florida seven years. Yeah. Um, maybe not seven. I think. But close well, to whatever. that. Yeah, right yeah. around there. So, um, and you think about, like, how it ended at Florida. Like, you win a national tri- title, and then two years later, he's, you know, he's done. And 
he's, you know, he's going to retire from exhaustion. Then he gets talked into coaching one more year and then it just ends in disaster. And, um, you know, he, and for different, there were different things, but there was off field stuff at Florida too. So it's just a lot to try and manage. And, and he just looks fried to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, I think the end of the season will be a real determining factor into us kind of making a call on whether he can keep going. Um, but I, I don't know that you can quite make that judgment yet. Uh, but I, this is this no. is one of the first games where you'll see. Uh, guys, that's Ask Us Anything. Thank you for sending those in. We we have a few more questions that we want to, I think I want to keep my back pocket for bye week. But please Kenning, keep sending those in. Uh, those are excellent. And uh, yeah, we'll get to them next week. Yeah, we might do like a whole 45 minutes of Ask Us Anything. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. Might be right. that way. Um, all right, I want to thank Lito Ramirez for jumping on. Thank you guys for listening as always. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Dubcast. See you next week, buddy. See you next week.